Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the podcast. Today, we got a great discussion coming to you about the NBA trade deadline, which just ended yesterday. And joining me, I got three guests today, including someone who's come on for the first time. What's up, Tamim? How you doing, dude? How's it going, guys? Excited to be here. Excited to talk some NBA. Yeah, and uh, I'm joined by Tamim and then my other two usual NBA guests. That's Ibrahim and Nubi What's up, guys? How's it going? Pretty good, man. How are you? Yeah, how are you, Abhijit? Couldn't hear you from back there, dude. Um, chilling. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So, um, how about we get started with the biggest of the news, and that's the Anthony Davis uh, trade rumor. So, the trade deadline passed, and Anthony Davis still hasn't been moved. So, I kind of want to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Uh, Tamim, you start, man. What do you have to say? Yeah, I think the biggest loser in this trade, that's not the Lakers, it's actually uh, Alvin Gentry and the Pelicans. I think that because um, when they had Anthony Davis, you have a market to bring in players next year, and now they really don't because you know every free agent that's coming that might possibly come to New Orleans, which is already not a hot organization to come to, is even less likely to come now that there isn't a guaranteed star. And I think um, Alvin Gentry loses a lot because he's a, he's a coach who I think has you know tremendous talent. He's from the same tree as D'Antoni and Steve Kerr. And so I think that he loses a lot. And um, aside from that, I think the Lakers, uh, you know, they got, I think they're going to have a lot of chemistry issues coming up. And um, Anthony Davis, regardless of where he goes, I think that the Lakers overvalued him. And I don't think that he was worth all the players Lakers were willing to give up. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ibrahim, do you have something to say about that? Because I know Ibrahim actually wants to get Anthony Davis at, uh, at any cost as a Lakers fan. So what do you think, man? Yeah, I think if you just look at it in a vacuum, um, the Lakers offering all those players for Anthony Davis, I think is worth it. Uh, he's a top five NBA player. So if you compare LeBron James with another top five NBA player, uh, that solves a ton of problems that... Uh, a lot of NBA teams have in terms of trying to compete. So if you look at it in a vacuum, I think those players, uh, I'd be willing to lose those players for Anthony Davis. But like Tamim said, when you look at how much uh, chemistry issues this might cause within the locker room and how this might affect the players' uh, confidence in themselves or how they uh, interact with their teammates and just how they're going to finish off the rest of the season, it, it really, really negatively affects the Lakers. And I think uh, it's just a, terrible look on the Lakers front office that uh, they had, I mean, obviously some of it's not in their control, but they had absolutely no control of the situation. Every yeah. single trade was leaked out and it was just, I think, making I think the worst bad. part is the worst part is you have guys like Ball, Rondo, Ingram and Kuzma and Stevenson. They're, those are like the Lakers playmakers aside from LeBron. And those are guys who are going to be expected to make plays in the playoffs for them. And if in order for them to be competitive. And the worst part is that, they, they go in and you know, basketball sports in general, there's a lot of psychology behind it. And I think those guys, now they have like the mindset that they're not even worth being on the team and they'd rather, um, you know, all of them combined are less than Anthony Davis. And I think, you know, that combined with the fact that they're a young team, um, I believe that young players are affected psychologically more than older players. And it's going to affect them in the playoffs. I don't think that LeBron has the playmakers aside from Rondo, who I think um, should be playing over ball to like seriously make a difference in the playoffs. 
I think one of the things that they're doing now is they're staggering their rotations where either Rondo or LeBron's on the court uh, all the time, uh, all the time. I think it's something they got to do for the rest of the season, just because I don't think that these other guys have um, the capability to handle pressure and handle um, what it takes to win the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, Tamim. One thing I wanted to add though, before that is I think after this whole chemistry thing, uh, I think it's a one game thing because Pacers game is pretty obvious. Like those trade rumors had a big impact. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think now after the trade deadline, everyone realizes, okay, I'm still on the team. I can't get traded for a while. I think that chemistry will come back, and I don't think it'll be as big of a problem come playoff time, if they even make the playoffs, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, that's what I got to say about that. But, Ibrahim, what were you about to say, dude? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to me it was right in that it does affect the young players more than others, but... Uh, Brandon Ingram throughout all the trade talks actually was playing really well. And I think he handled the pressure of constantly kind of being uh, criticized for his lackluster play alongside LeBron and all these other things. He actually handled the pressure really, really well. And in the time that LeBron has been gone from his injury, and I know he just came back, but in the time that LeBron has been gone, Ingram actually played better than Kuzma or Alonzo Ball or any of the other young guys. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. I think going, like when I said, going into the rest of the season, they know that they're here until the season ends. And so uh, having kind of gone through the most difficult stretch, now they can kind of just play and gain chemistry and look towards hopefully making the playoffs. Um, and so it's there's a lot of negatives, but at the same time, uh, I think the worst is behind them. And Ingram, as one player, has kind of shown that uh, he's able to mentally handle it. Maybe not as well as Kuzma or Ball, but he's able to mentally handle it. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I was think... actually really... Oh, sure. Go, on, go. go ahead. Yeah, I was actually really surprised that... Um, so Ingram played great when LeBron was gone, but Luke Wallen still hasn't really figured out his system and figured out who's going to have the ball in, in clutch situations or just situations throughout the game. One of the things I noticed is that Rondo was handling the ball a lot more than Ingram um, when LeBron was off the court last night in last night's game. I think that like that speaks volume. Like Luke Wallen is still trying to figure out what he wants to do, and when you have a coach, he's trying to figure out what he wants to do, and you know, a coach is trying to figure out a system, and he's not giving Ingram the ball as much. He's not giving Kuzma the ball as much. They're playing off the ball more. You have you have a situation where um, young players are going to have, you know, they're going to be mentally shot, and they don't really know what the roles on the team as of as of right now, and so it'd be interesting to see if they figure that out by the end of the year. Um, but you know, Rondo played great last night and he he's actually making his threes. I was surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, Rondo is actually the game winner last night, kind of put an exclamation point on, he had a really good game and you know, those ball handling duties that are being shared between him and LeBron, uh, that you talked about, Tam, and that's definitely a big thing. Like now that they have Rondo back from injury, which uh, was something that you didn't talk about with a lot with the Lakers, but him coming back from injury is a big deal. Uh, so I also want to shift the focus to, uh, the two teams that I think are big winners. Uh, because Anthony Davis uh, didn't get traded before the trade deadline. And uh, that's the Celtics and the Knicks. Uh, OBG, you haven't talked much, man, but I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, do you think the Celtics and the Knicks are big winners? Or um, do you not agree with me? I think... Okay, the Knicks, the Knicks, is a... the Knicks have always been this kind of dark horse. Not really a dark horse, but they aren't as, well, as much talked about during the trade. Uh, or free agents as, sorry, I meant like Anthony Davis uh, going to them. Um, so 
I, I'm not too sure if the Knicks are any in any like opportunistic situation. They don't really have much to offer um, aside from the fact that they have the potential to get a number one pick and another star. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been mentioned that apparently Anthony Davis likes the Knicks just as much as he likes the Lakers. I don't know how much of that is true. Um, as far as the Celtics go, um, I, I actually think the Celtics will not get Anthony Davis. Um, I mean, he did come out and say he wouldn't sign an extension with the Celtics. Or he didn't, but his dad did, and there's some other yeah. players. So do you think that's yeah. really a big deal? Because the Celtics, I mean, does it, do the Pelicans even care about that? Because the Celtics could offer the best package. Like, I think Jason Tatum is the best individual player that's been floated around in this, in this deal. Yeah, so they could, like but... You can have a chance. They I could, but the then they'll just be, like, screwing their future over. Because if, if, like, let's say Kyrie leaves, then you'll offer, let's say you offer Tatum, right? And Anthony Davis doesn't stay. Well, that's the like, thing, right? If Kyrie leaves then I don't think the Celtics would even be trading for Anthony Davis. And the Lakers then are big winners, right? So think about it this way. If the Knicks don't get the first overall pick and Kyrie leaves the Celtics before the Anthony Davis uh, issue is resolved, then the Lakers are now kind of the only bidder for Anthony Davis, right? I I think the Lakers are the number one bidder. I think the Pelicans are taking on a bunch of risk. I think they already got their best trade offer in terms of you don't know if Kyrie's gonna stand with Celtics. You don't know if he's gonna go, you know, the Knicks or somewhere else. He might go. You might even go to Brooklyn, and so you're not sure if you're he's gonna be able to go to the Knicks, um, just because they don't have any assets to give up, and you don't know if he's gonna be able to go to the Celtics just because of the fact that Kyrie's not gonna stay there for sure, and they they might not even be a team that's gonna be competing for a championship next year. And so I think all of that combined kind of makes this mm-hmm. a little bit of a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. for the Lakers because. If all that happens, if Kyrie doesn't end up staying with the Celtics, if the Knicks don't end up getting the first overall pick, um, then the Lakers can now offer a worse deal than what they offered just now. And they can potentially have LeBron, AD, and they might be able to keep Ingram, who, you know, many think is the best of their young core. So uh, there's a lot of, you know, things that could go wrong for the Pelicans from here on out. Yeah, I think the fact that they have Davis under contract for when he made the trade demand, they had him under contract for another year and a half. I think that fact, you kind of have to hold on to him and and at least see if Boston gets into the trading in July 1st. And if not, then you kind of have to not give into the pressure of like, oh, now that Boston's not in it and the Knicks don't have anything to offer, we have to trade him to the Lakers because you still have him under contract for another year after that. And, but it's know. but he's made clear he, that he doesn't he want to play there. So do you really want to hold your own organization and team hostage, playing around their best player who doesn't want to be on that team? You know, I think well, that just has it's not major consequences as much as it is. I think just trying to get the best offer you can get. But I mean, I, that's that's true. I guess there is a debate to be had that you know the Pelicans should have just gotten rid of him for a potential, like, for this best offer, which is Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, Stevenson, Rondo, well, and then two first-round picks. I, I think they ultimately, for themselves, made the best decision not trading him until the offseason. But I think he, it doesn't go past so They're the just taking on so much worse now. I mean, right. that's the, yeah. the offer, the Lakers' offer is still going to be there, so it's not like they, they lost anything. Well, well, well just because there's no one else that can offer anything better, it'll cheapen the value for Davis. Yeah, that's the... Right, but I don't think the Lakers yeah. are going to pull back a lot. I mean, if there's no better offer and in, in, uh, Anthony Davis isn't going to play, the Pelicans have to accept some kind of offer. They have to get some kind of value. And so maybe the Lakers end up winning this trade. 
and they give up, you know, say they get, they keep Kuzma, for example, they give up Ingram, everyone else, the two first round picks. If they, if they keep Kuzma and they keep, and they get Anthony Davis, I think that cheapens the trade enough where I think it might be worth it for the Lakers. Okay. So, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think this, I don't think one the, the trade offer they offered, I don't think the, the offer the Lakers gave was fair to the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, it's also kind of uh, the lake. Like, you talk about a lot of the pressure on the Pelicans. The Lakers also have a considerable impediment yeah. because Magic Johnson's mm-hmm. kind of um, modus operandi was, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get big free agents to come to the Lakers. And he got LeBron, but now the other guys, like Paul George, and, like I, I said it before in a previous podcast, Paul George didn't come. Kawhi is probably not going to come. So now it's Anthony Davis is the third guy they're going for. You know what I mean? Uh, OBG, do you think there's a lot of pressure on Magic Johnson? Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why the Celtics didn't accept it now. It'll be fine because I think there's a lot of pressure on Magic Johnson to actually get Anthony Davis. So I, I'm pretty sure they're going to keep the same offer uh, to ensure that no other teams uh, start bidding outside. So yeah, there is a lot of pressure because if they don't get Anthony Davis, LeBron's going to be another year older. It probably lessens the likelihood of them getting another star. Um, so yeah, and Magic Johnson has to go kind of pretty much all out. Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing here is really the Lakers are like the main storyline. Uh, the other teams will kind of have to see how it shakes out and if it ends up happening. But it's definitely, I, I think, a big factor in how this, um, a big factor in how this uh, sort of this Anthony Davis trade will end up going is the Eastern Conference playoffs, right? Because if the Celtics suffer an early loss. Um, you know, they're Kyrie is most likely leaving. Yeah, I think the playoffs. You know, honestly, all 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 this trade talk and free agency um, for Kyrie, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, obviously, most of it hinges on what happens in the playoffs. Actually, you know, we can yeah. talk a lot about what's going to happen in the regular season, but ultimately, these players are going to make decisions on how their team performs in the playoffs or how a potential team that they could join. Is he going to perform in the playoffs? So, yeah, that's a good point, Ronak. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk about the two teams that Anthony Davis said he would sign with, uh, other than the Lakers and the Knicks. And that's the Clippers and the Bucks. Um, I kind of want to hear uh, all of your guys' thoughts on this. Uh, what do you think is the likelihood that he signs with either of the teams? Um, Tamim, you start. I think if in order for him to go to the Clippers, I'd have to see a strategic advantage for the Clippers. I think the way they're building the roster right now, it doesn't make sense for them to give up a lot of the assets they got to get to get Anthony Davis. And depending on what happens in the offseason and how much Anthony Davis his value cheapens, I think that um the Clippers wouldn't make anything wouldn't make a crazy deal to get him and they'd probably just hang on to what they have. Um I think they'd much rather prefer to get a wing player that has that has star talent in comparison to Anthony Davis. But you know it depends on what what's available in the offseason. Um, I think it, you know, it really just comes down to if the Warriors win the championship again, Kevin Durant, I don't think he'll go to the Knicks. And that, that basically puts it where it's either going to be Boston or it's going to be LA. And I don't think, uh, a lot of these other teams are really going to offer a lot in comparison. Uh, to What about LA. the Bucks though, Tamman? In terms the of the Bucks, you know, I, I, I think they have, um, potential to get them. I just don't think it'll happen just because they don't have. They're not. Um, they're another organization where I think they they value they they value depth and they they have like a certain style of play. One of the things that separates the Lakers from the other teams we're talking about is they don't really have a system. 
like I mentioned, they don't really have um, like a, like the way they play, the way they play, like the, a style of how they play. I think the Bucks do. I think the Clippers do as well. I and so when they make decisions, they, their decisions are more about um, if the player they're getting fits in with what they're doing. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Um, I definitely would also agree that the Clippers and Bucks are kind of a long shot to get him. But uh, Ibrahim Rabijit, uh, can I hear your thoughts on that? Do any of you guys disagree that they're a long shot destination? No, I don't. I don't think the Clippers are a long shot, really. Um, you know, they made a lot of they made a lot of moves to clear up space. I think they have space for two max contracts now. Um, so, and they have a lot of assets from trading Tobias Harris and and whatnot. And so I, I mean, I, I wouldn't underestimate Jerry West. Is all I'm saying. He's done some. He's done some crazy shit. So. Um, if they do end up getting Anthony Davis, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I would be less. I would be more surprised if the Bucks got him because I think I don't know how much the Bucks are willing to part with a lot of their assets now because they're doing so well. Um, mm-hmm. But Anthony Davis adding him doesn't really, you know, you could throw your your style of play out the window if you just have two really good stars. So uh, I, I can't see that happening as much as I'm going to the Clippers, but. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what the Clippers have, they have two uh, two extra first-round draft picks uh, for the 2020 and 2021 seasons. They have two first-round draft picks, their own, and then um, they have Miami and Philadelphia for each of those years. So they do have a lot of trade capital. But, yeah, the issue, again, is, see, they have two max, max spots. So for the Clippers to get into the bidding, they'd first have to sign a max free agent, and then they would have to trade for Anthony Davis. Yeah, they're gonna get they're gonna get Kawhi for sure. You, really, <laughs> so, you for sure think they're gonna get Kawhi? I, mean, I think they're. Gonna I think get Kawhi, Kawhi would make them a lot better. Yeah, Kawhi would make them a lot better. But I mean, I just like the way that that you know they traded Tobias Harris because we'll we'll get into that in a in a in the later part of the podcast in the of the podcast though. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. But <laughs> the next thing that um you know we want to talk about if you guys uh turn back the time machine a little bit to before the trade deadline craziness was the uh, Christoph Porzingis trade from the Knicks to the Mavericks. Uh, what do you guys think about that? As a Mavericks fan, I obviously, you know, yes, Luka and Kristaps, the two best international players. But what do you guys think about it? Yeah, personally, I think uh, Porzingis is, was, he's, he's uh, overrated by the public. I don't think he's that great. I think uh, the, the assets he was traded for speaks for itself. He was the way the the way the mark the NBA market priced him was pretty low. He you know they didn't really give much up for someone who was in the MVP discussion not too long ago. And I think the biggest thing the Mavericks have to think about when you have a guy like Kristaps Porzingis is if he can defend late games um, against good teams. And you can't just have a player where you're you're, you're you know a couple of years you probably have to give him a max deal. And I don't know if you want to give a guy a max deal if you can't. If you can't win, if you can't beat Golden State, if you can't beat Houston, if you can't beat the top teams, just because of how bad he is as a perimeter defender, uh, I don't know the exact stat. I think he's like bottom thirtieth in terms of uh, perimeter defense. And in order to defend the good teams in the NBA, you're gonna have to your big has to switch out onto smalls. And I don't think uh, Porzingis guarding Curry or Harden or any of those guys late games. You know, it's a matchup that the Mavericks want. And I think they did good to give up Barnes, um, not only from a contract standpoint. But I just don't, I think that Barnes, his uh, he's shooting forty percent from the field this year, and they they're trying to they were trying to run their offense through him a little bit. But 
most of his damage is done in the post, which is, you know, it's not efficient offense and he's really inconsistent. He'll make some of his shots. He'll miss some of his shots. Um, and the way that they're going right now with Luca, they'd be better to have a guy who can just um, play, play on the perimeter and shoot threes. Yeah. Um, two things I want to say to you before I let uh, Ibrahim and Abhijit weigh in. So first of all, I think the whole Kristaps Max deal thing, he's going to sign, or he said he's going to sign a qualifying offer this summer, right? So just mm-hmm. a one-year deal. We don't have to pay him the max just yet. We can see what he's got. You know, it would kind of suck if we let him walk for nothing. But if that's how bad he plays, then that might be an option. But I personally think, like, you have two really young players in Luka Doncic and Kristoff Porzingis. So I don't even know if Golden State and Houston, the way they are right now, would even be around. Houston, for sure, won't be around the same way. Chris Paul is not going to play that many more years. That it's really concerned to play that style of ball right now. Maybe that's the way the NBA is well, moving. It's not so much Golden State and Houston. It's just the it's just the way the NBA is moving right now in terms of everything's becoming on the perimeter, especially yeah. late games. You what you do is you attack mismatches, and Porzingis is a mismatch for any any guard in the league. And that's if true. It's, uh, like, I mean, he's a, he's a mismatch for any guard, but I think many big men in the league are mismatches for guards. Yeah, he's a mismatch the other way too. Like, yeah. He's a great shot blocker. Put him on the well. yeah, is, but you have to you have to just if you're if you're an NBA coach you have to think is it worth it for me to get a post he so he's he's going to be posting up a guard on the other end and no he's going to be on the perimeter. He's, he's a, well with like with what someone who like a big guy guarding him. Right. Yeah, just you just pick and pop, you pick and pop put Porzingis out and it's and the big has to respect that. Yeah, Porzingis Doncic pick and roll is lethal. Yeah. I think you can you can switch that, and I think his his damage on the offensive end is negated by how bad he is on defense, especially when it comes to switching, which is something you have to do to win games. Yeah, but and I it's, think it's like there's no other. You gotta look at it from like the Dallas perspective. Like they improved yeah, they by getting Porzingis. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and also you're you talk about kind of the system that we've implemented now, the Mavericks. Like you know, I know we're not very good, so a lot of people don't watch the games, but. We have a ton of wings who can switch. Like we literally have like a closet full of wings that can switch. Uh, and now right. we have Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway too. Like, and you, I know you like those players, Sam. And so I, you know, yeah, I like I like Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway. A I lot. think we're I think setting up I a think, system uh, in which you know we are like having people who can switch and fit that modern NBA. And I think we can hide Persingas a little bit on the defensive end. Um, exactly. Yeah, I think we'll defense. Defense is a lot about how you play as a team more than just like what an individual can do because there's a lot of really good offensive players in the league that aren't the best defensive players but it's not it's not hurting their team you know because if you play well if you play good defense as a group as five players then one poor individual defender is not going to hurt you that much yeah uh, so mean, the value that he adds offensively way way more offsets in my opinion any you know a mismatch that yeah I agree the, other that. Side can accre- the other side can create yeah, I mean, and essentially the Mavs gave up. Uh, so they actually gave up Dennis Smith, Wes Matthews, DeAndre Jordan, uh, and two first-round picks, a 2020 unprotected pick and a 2022 top-10 protected pick. Um, I would expect that most of those would be around just like, you know, m- uh, middle-of-the-pack picks, maybe worse. And, uh, so, yeah, and, and first-round picks aren't really valuable in the NBA. Exactly. And then the other thing is uh, Matthews Well, I wouldn't say they're not valuable. I think they're still valuable if you have a good scouting team I you think, can still find really good players they're yeah, valuable up until about the fifth pick and then they start to taper yeah. off in value i think yeah. i i looked at this before so the past three years picks after 10 you have like a two percent chance of getting a, a decent player and by decent player i mean like a jared allen type of player 
Okay. I mean, that's, wow, that's so, low. I might have to look at that again. But yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, the point is that it's low, right? So we give up Dennis Smith mm-hmm. and those two first round picks that no one really like projects to be that valuable. So, you know, I think that's a good price to give up for, for Porzingis, especially because Wes Matthews and Jordan were, weren't going to be on the team after this year anyway. And uh, Tim Hardaway is a solid player. Uh, he was, like, used completely the wrong way in New York. He's a solid player that's going to help us. And Courtney Lee didn't play at all because they're trying to tank, but he's going to play for the Mavericks, and he's another guy who can space the floor, defend, and shoot. But another yeah, those are two line. really good players. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Rick, Carl- Rick Carlisle is the type of coach where – he uh the way they run things on the Mavericks is organized and structured enough and he has enough say within the organization to not play Porzingis at the end of games, which is something that um the previous coach Jeff Hornacek did on the Knicks and he got a lot of flack for it. Um there were times where Porzingis wouldn't enter the game in the fourth quarter just for defensive purposes. And uh and it looked like Porzingis and Hornacek had a really bad relationship because of that. But I think it was it was uh, you know, Hornacek's trying to adopt the defensive mentality of the team. And I think um, with Porzingis and how cheap they got him, I think that um, Rick Carlisle can figure out ways to win with him just because of how their their system is. They have a system in place, and they, they're not going to uh, be worried about playing him a certain amount of minutes just because of um, they have a proven track record of winning. Exactly. As opposed well, part to of, part of why I think he was cheap was also because of his, his knee. Coming off an injury is yeah, kind of a risk. the rest of the year. But yeah, continue OBG. Yeah, I was saying, uh, yeah, uh, Porzingis probably why he got him a little cheaper than he should have was probably because of his injury. You know, coming off of ACL, he's seven foot three. Big men with injuries aren't really known to ha- to do that very well. Um, so that's that's probably why he, the Knicks were willing to part with him in such a manner. Yeah, I mean, another reason is they're trying to free up, you know, two max slots. So now they have two max slots. And they have the pick that could be Zion Williamson. So, yeah. Do you guys yeah, I think, think uh, that? I think that knee injury actually makes Porzingis even more risky for the for anyone that was trying to get him. I think I agree with Abhijit. Um, yeah. The fact that the fact that Porzingis isn't a quick player laterally, and he has a knee injury, makes it even worse. Uh, he was a guy who Phil Jackson wanted to get stronger so he can go in the post and start scoring the post. His you know his best post move is a turnaround jumper. Fadeaway, which isn't really an efficient shot in the NBA, and uh, mo- even on the, in a pick and pop, most of his damage is done in the mid range, and so I think that he he would have been a great player maybe ten years ago. I just don't think that coming with it like you know compound with a knee injury, he is that he's going to make it that much of a difference for the Mavericks. Yeah, I mean you know that is he's definitely an upgrade over what uh, they he had, did though, shoot thirty nine percent last year. Uh, right, he still shoots forty percent so, from three on like five attempts a game. That's that's pretty good for yeah for your thirty nine point five percent on about five attempts per game. Exactly. So I, I don't think I, I don't think it's just a pick and pop game in the mid range. I think he has he has a good game. Uh, yeah, but if you're going to use crazy, him as a spot up shooter, why not just have a wing guy stand out there? Well, because the hope is that he'll grow end. into being more of a star, right? And, right, but you also need a guy who can pull the big men out in the pick and roll, so the guards have more space to operate. Yeah, but so, you can do that with a you can do that with a, a, a forward or something like PJ Tucker does yeah, that for the Rockets. Yeah, but a forward, forward's just gonna switch that. Huh? Yeah, you can yeah. switch it all you want because the center is gonna be guarding Kristaps. So if yeah. you want to bring that center out, you're gonna have to have a big man who has the ability to make those shots outside to actually draw them out. Right. And like Abiji's saying, that's gonna give whoever the ball handler is so much more room to operate, and they can attack 
or they can take a shot or they can do whatever. And if you do choose to switch it, now you have Luka Doncic on the center. And come on, we know how exactly. that's ending. It's Luka Doncic, right. man. And, so. and like Ronak said earlier, Luka, his pick and roll game is, is fantastic. So if him, him and Chris Ops can get some chemistry there, that's potential to be really, really dangerous. Exactly. I, I think that, and Rick Carlisle will figure out how to stop like Porzingis' limitations. Or sorry, hide Porzingis' limitations while really accentuating what Porzingis does well. And that's just because of the respect I have for Rick Carlisle as a coach. And I think another thing is, Chris Stubbs is only 22 years old. He's, he's still very young, and he has a lot of potential. And a coach he's like Rick Carlisle... I mean, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have talent and skill that he can work on, though. Uh, he yeah. may not get more athletic, but the NBA is a skill league, and if you have a coach like Rick Carlisle who's working with you, there are a lot of small things you can do, I think, that can make you a really good player in the NBA. Uh, and if you're I, yeah, I alongside a player like Luka, that gives you a really so good he, chance a, to be effective. I'd be interested to see the stats on him versus other guards, just because of the fact that he doesn't have a traditional post game where he he uses like jump hooks and he gets in the paint. His his uh, post game is more of like turn on fadeaways. I'd be interested to see what his stats are against other guards when that when there's a switch in the post. I think because I think that that tell you a lot about how useful he is in a modern NBA offense. Yeah, I mean those would definitely be great numbers to look at. Um, I think mm-hmm. they used to have the tracking data I, be, on on uh, NBA.com. I want to see that if his I want to see if his numbers against guards are a lot better than against like other big men. Because I would argue that it's probably not that big of a difference. Who's yeah, but I mean, him? see, that's another thing that he can improve on with time, Tam. Even if he isn't good at it right now, that's something that can easily be improved, like being able to exploit mismatches. Mm-hmm. A lot of players in the NBA have improved yeah, that part of their game. So, yeah. real quick, getting away from the Kristaps side of it, uh, going to the Knicks side of it, the Knicks now have Dennis Smith Jr. They have a couple first-round picks. They have two max salary spots. What are you guys' outlooks on how the Knicks are going to be looking in the next couple of years? I mean, it looks like they have a lot of capital to work with here. They might even get the first-round pick. Uh, so it kind of seems like they're in pretty good position to turn things around. Yeah, Would I you mean, guys agree with that? Um, I, I agree with that. I think the Knicks actually made a good move, right? Because I love Kristaps alongside Luka as a second guy. But having him on the Knicks team would mean that other people would want like another max free agent, for example, you know, there's a lot of rumors about Kevin Durant possibly going to New York. Um, Kevin Durant would have to see, okay, I want to play with Kristoff, right? In order for him to come to the Knicks. But now, no one, like, there's no Kristoffs in the equation anymore. It's whoever right. wants to come to the Knicks can pick their running mate as a second max guy. And oh, by the way, you might just have the most talented rookie in Zion Williamson coming into the team, too. You know, that's uh, that. So I think the Knicks actually. They they did good to make this trade, but um, RBG, did yeah, the Knicks did so a good too. job? Yeah, I think I think they did a good job. It's kind of ironic that they got back Dennis Smith Jr., who they probably should have drafted originally. Hands that are from uh, Nick Latina. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's because he said no to the octopus. <laughs> oh, yeah. That funny pre-draft story. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, uh, Dennis Smith went out for dinner with uh, Phil Jackson, right? Yeah. And uh, Phil Jackson ordered the octopus, and Dennis Smith thought it was disgusting. So yeah. it's like a meme that the Knicks didn't draft him because of that. <laughs> they, he probably was like, yeah, you're going to run the triangle. And he's like, all right, nah. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the I'm triangle good. is just, like, just 
that was the problem, I think, with the whole modern NBA and Phil Jackson is that the triangle just didn't quite fit it. Well, yeah, actually, I disagree yeah. with that, Ronak. I think the triangle is one of the biggest influences in the modern NBA. It's just that Phil Jackson was too stuck on finding very, very specific type of players who he's not willing to kind of stretch that out to to match what's going on now. But in terms of the pace and space and having shooters, that's what the triangle offense is. It's, yeah, but it's exactly what teams are running yeah, out. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Sorry, my bad. Go ahead. No, OBG, go ahead. I just wanted to say that I don't think Phil Jackson adapted it that well, but go on, man. No, I agree with that. I'm just saying the triangle in general. Yeah, I was going to say that Steve Kerr, actually, his whole philosophy and the way he plays is based off of the triangle, but with a little nuance with the players yeah. that he has. So exactly. I think yeah, the difference it, it can the work. Warriors, yeah. I think the difference in how the Warriors play offensively is they actually get out in transition. If there's a shot in transition, players are like, are, they're allowed to shoot it. And they set like they set uh, screen rolls in transition for players. One of the things that the Knicks weren't allowed to do it was like take shots in transition for a certain uh, point. With uh, so they had really slow pace. And then the, I mean, yeah, when you have the two best shooters in the half court offense. Yeah, when you have the two best shooters of all time, that's the greatest you want to let them let them take uh, yeah. three pointers. That's true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but, yeah, a um, lot of it is the talent you have on the team. But yeah, do you think it's a good move for the Knicks, uh, Tamim? I think it's a great move. I think they'll probably end up getting one star. Um, I don't know who, but I think it sets them up for the future. I don't think they could. Uh, they're you know they're coming to the realization that the organization prior to them, Phil Jackson's organization, a lot of the players that they that he had drafted uh, didn't really fit with what they wanted to do in the future. I think now they have the flexibility to, to restart, um, opening up contracts. Yeah, I agree with that, man. Um... I think overall, it's kind of a win-win, you know. A lot of the times in the NBA, there aren't a lot of win-wins. But, uh, you know, for the Mavericks, like, they got to hope that this trade uh, works, works out for them just as well as that Steve Nash traded way back in the day after the first stint with the Sun. And I think for the Knicks, uh, it's just kind of a fresh start that they needed in order to try to, you know, bring New York, the Knicks back to, uh, you know, the prominence that they should be at. So uh, another big trade, and this one happened very recently, is uh, Tobias Harris moving from the uh, Clippers to the 76ers. Uh, the Clippers traded Harris, Mike Scott, and Boban Marjanovic. And the Sixers traded them back Landry Shamit, Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala, and a 2020 first and a 2021 unprotected first. That are, that's from the Heat. And two second-round picks that will be conveyed in 2021 and 2023. And then uh, later, I believe, uh, the Clippers traded Mike Muscala to the Lakers. But, um, so yeah, I just kind of want to hear, what are your guys' thoughts on this Tobias Harris trade? Um, do you think it was smart by the Clippers to do that? Um, how do you think it will impact the 76ers? Because, I mean, you know, now they have, like, a big four sort of thing going on. Yeah, I mean, um, Tobias Harris is on the cusp of becoming a star in the NBA. He's great ever since he was on the Pistons. They, I think they, they had the understanding that they had, he was probably going to ask for a max deal next year, and they weren't going to be able to do that for them for him. And so they got value back. They, got, they, you know, they ended up getting Wilson Chandler, who I think still has a couple years left uh, to play and to, to be a good spot-up shooter uh, and add value to their team. Um, I was actually surprised they gave up Marjanovic, though. He was great for them. Yeah, um, I, I'm actually surprised as well. I mean, how if you think about it from the Sixers' uh, perspective, they have 
like a really good starting lineup now, like an elite starting lineup. I'd say a top three NBA starting lineup. Um, they also, uh, Mike Scott's not a bad shooter. Uh, he'll help them with some bench shooting. Uh, and the thing with Boban and uh, Joel Embiid is you have one center that's 7-2, and then you take him out and a 7-6 center comes in the game. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of rebounding and, and uh, a little bit of defense, that's going to help a lot. Um, I know, Tamim, you have your concerns about the Sixers still. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think uh, I think the Sixers are one of those teams where if they play if they play a good team in the playoffs, they have fundamental issues on their team. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, dude. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. So I think they have uh, you know they have like fundamental issues on their team. I think that was exposed by Brad Stevens last year in the playoffs. Uh, when it, Ben Simmons, his jump shot didn't develop at all from last year. His perimeter shooting didn't develop at all since last year. And I think what's going to happen in the playoffs is you're going to have a coach like Brad Stevens put put a center on, um, put a center on Simmons and just back off and stay in the paint, and that's going to ruin their spacing a lot. And so when you, I think that's a fundamental issue the uh, the Seventy uh, Sixers have, and they have they haven't really solved that. So well, you, you don't know, think Tobias Harris has solved that? No, I, mean, I, he I think he doesn't have a that? bunch of these wing guys. But it doesn't change the fact that you're gonna have a you're gonna have a guy standing in the paint every time Ben Simmons is on the court, and so they have they have fundamental issues that other teams that they're gonna be competing against, including the Bucks and Raptors and Celtics, don't have to deal with. And I think um, just that compared with the fact that Joel Embiid's a great player, but he does most of his damage in the post and on defense. He's gonna be having a guard, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving, and I don't think he's a great pick and roll defender. Wow, I um, think Joel Embiid is a pretty good defender overall. Um, Joel Embiid does great in pick and roll. I think I have to pull up some stats, but him and Anthony Davis are one of the two best players in pick and roll or defending the pick and roll. Yeah, I think Embiid this think, season has made a huge improvement over where he was last season in terms of pick and roll defending. Um, on switches I, this year, I, just visibly, like uh, from watching the games, he's a lot better in my opinion. Yeah, I wasn't even talking yeah, about switches. I have to see how he does in switches. I have to see how he, he does against on switches. I think, uh, but I think just having like two fundamental issues on your team, both on the offense end and defense end, makes it really hard for you to win against really good teams. Well, I see what you're saying about them having fundamental issues, but I think them having Tobias Harris is a huge answer to that problem. Where now you have a guy who he can shoot. He can shoot, man. He he's shooting forty three percent. Like he's a killer. <laughs> you know, he could go off for thirty points at any time. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that Embiid can also do that, and Jimmy Butler can also do that. So I see what you're saying, and I think last year that was definitely true, and Simmons not having his jump shot is an issue. But at the same time, uh, now they have a legit one of the best three-point shooters in the game. They have one of the best yeah. big mans on both sides of the court in the game. Uh, and Ben Simmons, for his issues with his jump shot, is still a pretty good facilitator, and he can still attack the rim. He's not the most skilled player. I, I'm still not super sold on him. but I think he's athletic enough and a good enough passer where uh, it's not going to negatively impact him that he's not taking jump shots. Yeah. yeah. I think one thing I want to say, um, you know, Tam, you said the whole the center covering Simmons thing and, and sagging in the paint. Um, you know, when I, when I hear that, it reminds me a lot of a player on the Warriors, and that's Draymond Green. Uh, teams frequently just say, you know what, Draymond Green, shoot all you want. We're backing off of you. And what Green does is something really, really smart that I think the Sixers need to start doing with Embiid 
or sorry, not Embiid, uh, Simmons, because Simmons also has like great passing vision that Draymond Green is uh, known for a little bit mm-hmm. as well. And that's if the p- person sagging off of you, get into a quick dribble handoff because now you have yeah. Simmons screening the guy who's guarding Tobias Harris off a, a handoff, um, you know, Jimmy Butler off a handoff, JJ Redick off a handoff. And you got to respect those guys. So now you have Simmons just setting a screen and they're coming right off the screen and there's no one even there because the center has sagged all yeah. the way in the paint. And I yeah. think that it just, like, I, I think I do, that I, it sets themselves up well. well yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's, a probably, that's probably a great way for Brett Brown to get around the issue. I think, but I think it's probably the biggest issue because if you look at, like, uh, the plus or minus of TJ McConnell on the court, it was a lot higher with him than it was with Simmons just when they were playing Boston because Boston's figured out how to defend, how to defend uh, Philly with Simmons on the court. I think... That's what that's one option because they have more shooters now with Jimmy Butler. They have more playmakers with Harris and uh, Jimmy Butler. These other guys they signed, but I think it'll still be interesting to see if um, just because of like how how uh, more inefficient Simmons makes their offense. Yeah, but I mean, if you're looking at the last season's playoff numbers, that's true. But that was only Simmons and Embiid, right? It's a, almost a completely different team now because. They've yeah. kind of sacrificed depth for stars, right? And we'll see how that works out. But just starting a line, like having a lineup with Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, and Simmons in the lineup just gives you a lot of really, really good NBA players, if not star NBA players. And I think that's something that the defense has to scheme for no matter what anyone's limitations are, right? Do you agree with that, Abhijit? What do you think, man? Yeah, no, I really liked how you pointed out that dribble handoff thing because. Last year, they couldn't do that. Like they had JJ Redick, who's not really—he needs a lot more space to come off a dribble handoff. He's not going to take it to the bucket or do any do any damage with it, like Jimmy Butler or or Tobias Harris could do. Um, so yeah, I think I think that was a really really cool cool thing you pointed out. Yeah, Ibrahim, what do you think, man? Uh, kind of the final word on the 76ers. What would it be from you? Uh, I think that this trade helps him out quite a lot in the East. Um, like Tamim pointed out, one of the biggest issues going up against Boston last year was that they couldn't really compete uh, with a lack of outside shooting. So this definitely helps them. Um, I have to see how they play the rest of the season to really feel like if they're uh, higher up in the rankings in the East. But like you said about that handoff with Simmons and like everyone's been saying that now, Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris are just two extra scorers that the Sixers have. Uh, Simmons doesn't need to score the basketball. Uh, he has three other guys who can put the ball in the basket very efficiently and at a pretty elite level where he can just focus on what he's doing and the rest of the team can just come around him. And so ultimately, I really like the trade for the Sixers. I think it makes them a better team. I just don't know if it makes them the best team in the East. I just okay. like to say that. No, I have a fun exercise for you guys then. How about this? Where would you guys have ranked the Sixers um, in the East top four? So that's the Celtics, Sixers, Raptors, and the um, – I'm blanking on someone here. Who did I Bucks, forget? The Bucks. The Bucks. I forgot the Bucks. Sorry, guys. The best team in the league. Exactly. See, I'm forgetting the best team in the league. That's how you know that it's been a long work week. <laughs> so out of those four that. teams, where were the Sixers before the trade? And now where are the Sixers after the trade? For all three of you guys. Tamim, you start. 
Um, so the Pacers are third seed in the East. I think in terms of playoffs, if I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna rank it out, based so we're kind of discounting them now, right? Yeah, based on based off of who's like most effective and who has the best chance of winning the play, like winning in the playoffs. I think the Raptors, Celtics, and Bucks are still are, they're you know they're still ahead of the 76ers. The problem is after the Raptors, Bucks, and Celtics, the the talent in the East kind of just plummets, right? Yeah, and so, so I think that the 76ers fourth still. Yeah, I, th- I think they're still fourth. Wow. Um, because just because of how there's no other, there's not really that many other teams that can compete in the East. I think that I think it, the the Nets can surprise people in the playoffs. As a sixth seed, I think they can actually like they can take a game to like seven games if they put the Pacers. I think they can win. Yeah, but I, I think... mean, but the Pacers aren't really like the Pacers are irrelevant now, right? Because they lost their best player, so now it's kind of like anyone who plays the Pacers are going to have a chance against them. Uh, or any good team, I, the East only has the Nets out of the out of the top five that are a good team. So that's fair. I, I can see the Nets beating the Pacers in the series as well. So you'd say the Sixers yeah. were the worst team, um, or sorry, the worst out of the contenders in the East before the trade, and they still are after. Yeah, I think one of the so what, like, can you go back to your dribble handoff thing? Sure. If you talk about the dribble handoff, the, the difference between Draymond Green setting a, a dribble handoff for Durant, Curry, and Clay is. The second they catch the ball and the defender's sagging off, that's an open three that they make. If you look at how Jimmy Butler gets a lot of his baskets, it's not from – I have to look at his three-point field percentage, but if you look at the way he scores, it's actually inside the three-point, it's inside the three-point line. So he's, he's a great scorer in the post. He's a great scorer in mid-range, but he's not necessarily a Draymond Green, a Clay, or a Steph Curry. Yeah, so um, I, I can think pull he, that up for you right now. A three-point percentage, uh, Jimmy Butler is that – uh, 38% for the 76ers since being acquired. Or sorry, uh, yeah. 36%. J.J. Redick is at 38%, my bad. But, uh, you know, yeah, so that's, a, that's a fair point. He is gotta... obviously one of the greatest shooters of all time. So It, it just is... gives them more options than what exactly. they had before. But yeah, um, yeah, they have more options. I just don't think it'll increase their efficiency. to Because you, you have to remember, they got blown out by the Celtics. They literally, I think they lost in five games, right? Yeah, but that's a different team. That was last season. Yeah, I think a lot has changed since then. You just wonder how much, how much like they improved marginally from last year, and if. Well, they definitely improved defensively with Jimmy Butler. He's a pretty elite defender. Yeah, uh, it was five games yeah. that the Celtics won last year. Um, I, so I also want to uh, hear Ibrahim and Abijit's opinion on this. So, uh, both of you guys, or Ibrahim, you start, man. Uh, what do you think about what? Where would you rank the Seventy Sixers in that group of four teams before the trade and after the trade? So before the trade, I had him as fourth in that group after the trade i still have them at fourth but okay. <laughs> um <laughs> not a lot of 76ers love over here man but i think i think the difference between the 76ers and those other teams are that uh if they do keep this core four players they have less question marks than the celtics do and potentially the raptors do going into the offseason um you know with the whole kyrie irving thing and you know, Tatum is a great player. Jalen Brown is is a pretty good young prospect. But if Kyrie Irving leaves, if Gordon Hayward never returns to the player that the Celtics signed, then they kind of drop off in that list, right? And that's a real possibility. That's a very real possibility. Um, the Raptors, obviously, I think with them signing Marcus Saul or trading for Marcus Saul, it, it increases the chances of Kawhi staying, but he can still leave. And if he leaves, that team is no longer elite. So that's two of the top four teams that in six months from now might not even be contenders, uh, where the 76ers will most likely have all four of these guys for the next four to five years. 
and they're all in their 20s. Um, I think Jimmy Butler is maybe the oldest one. He's like 28. So they have a legit core of players for the foreseeable future that they could uh, retool and improve around. So I think they have the potential to go up in that list in the future. But as of right now, what's going on in this season, I still have them as four. How about you, ABG? Uh, do you have any issue with the with them not moving up the Sixers? Do you move them up at all? I we did this ranking exercise the first time. I don't remember what my yeah it was. Uh, uh, it was a few well, I forgot ago. what I what I, I put. We all discounted the Sixers. We said they were the fourth. So uh, okay, okay. So how, so what would you I, say I, now, man? Any improvement? Gosh, I no, I I can't see them. I I think they. I think if I were to re-rank this, I would probably do. Bucks, Raptors, and then slight edge of Celtics over Sixers. That's that's what it would be. Sure, um, sure. So, but I don't see that gap being between the Celtics and the Sixers as much as I guess what you guys are implying, um, being there a big drop off between third and fourth. So, uh, yeah, I think I think the Celtics aren't as good as we think they are. I think they have a really low margin uh, for success. Like everything has to go right for them, for them to win. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true in the regular season. I just, but I just think that a roster, the way it's constructed, they don't have guys in their lineup that are playing who aren't capable of, of, of like playing really well or like playing. Which, which team are you talking about? The Celtics. The Celtics. They don't have fundamental issues with their roster. Yeah, I mean, again, you're that's, talking that's about fair. I mean, the whole like switching thing and all that, and that that's fine. But I think that personally, I, I think, think they just the close the gap bucks. between the Sixers and the Celtics. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, sure. Uh, the one and thing I think I, so I one say, of the though, things you have to consider is during the regular season, a lot of there's not a lot of game planning going into each game, and so the margin for error is a lot bigger, just because the game is less about strategy as it is about just who you know who's going off that night or who's 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 playing really well that night but i think when you when it comes to playoff strategy becomes more and more important and that's why i fundamental issues with certain teams that's fair um one thing i do want to point out though abg is the celtics didn't start very well the first 25 games of the season yeah yeah um, ever since then i think they've been on a they've they've almost had like a three to one winning winning to losing ratio uh, or something like that, which is which is really good. So I think the Celtics have picked it up. And Gordon Hayward's starting to play better now. Yeah, he is playing. But the last few games, he has played a little bit better. So I think the he Celtics like four are points last game. Sorry, I think he had like four points last game. No, that's true. <laughs> I mean, last game wasn't like his best performance, but I think overall <laughs> lately he's been a little bit better. I'd have to pull up. I just I just don't think Gordon Hayward's gonna be the same he's player. Probably a non-factor season. in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think he's yeah, going to we'll, be we'll a huge player in the season. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics, uh, maybe next year he's going to come back, but I don't think this year he, we're really going to see All Star level Gordon Hayward. Yeah, it's tough, man. Um, it's really tough. And then, I mean, he, so he's the thing with him is he's still going to be a playmaker. I think like last night he had like I, I think he had five assists last night, so he was still coming off the bench and making plays for his team. He just wasn't scoring at a high rate. But I think if you can do that, and you if you compare that to what they had last year in the playoffs, they didn't really have that. They only have a guy who can come off the bench and make plays when Kyrie would come off the court. I think if you if you have that and you have Gordon Hayward um, coming off the bench and making plays that are a lot, I think they're a better team than they were last year. Even though he's not, he's yeah, not playing it, that great. Yeah, because they got Kyrie back. Yeah, they're definitely a better yeah. team than they were last year, but 
Um, so against I the think... Cavs, he had he had 18 points in in, uh, in five assists, shooting nine for 14. So he definitely he definitely has the capability to have a, a, a solid game here and there. Yeah, I think kind of. I think the Celtics have probably the highest ceiling of any teams in the playoffs, but like OBG said, a lot has to go right for them to really reach that potential. And so there's a very real possibility that it doesn't go right. And uh, like their young guys had fantastic performances in the playoffs last year, almost unheard of by players in their first or second season. What if that doesn't happen again, right? What if Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown who, by the way, are not having fantastic seasons, don't go off in the playoffs, then they might lose, right? So I think they have a really good chance to play great, but also they have a chance to not play so well. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting, especially, um, you know, I kind of want to get to the other uh, two uh, two teams in the East that made trades, and that's the Raptors getting Marcus Gasol and the Bucks getting Nikola Mirotic. So uh, we'll start with the Bucks trading for Mirotic first. Uh, what do you guys think about that trade? And do you think it'll uh, really impact the Bucks? Yeah, I love I love the Meritage pickup personally. He's a guy who can shoot from Ryan Anderson range back in the day. And he's a he's a guy you can <laughs> that one season Ryan good. Anderson was good. Throwback. <laughs> yeah, <literally. laughs> no, but he's so when you have a guy who can who can shoot from like thirty five feet plus, that opens up the floor so much. And when you have when you have guys like Giannis making plays, and you have a you have Bledsoe. You have Bledsoe as well. You just have. There's so much more space on the floor with with Meritage. I think um, Budenholzer. He has a system in play, and they're you know even with the uh, even with the Hawks a couple years ago, they're winning games just off their system. So when you now you have you have talented players, you have an all you have all stars. I think they're a dangerous team. I love the Meritage pickup personally. Yeah, I mean, the Miritich pickup for me, uh, personally, is signaled that the Bucks are legit. Like, because they already have a system where they have shooters around Giannis. But now you're adding an, an, another elite shooter to that mix. Like, it just, the Bucks are really scary, man. Uh, um, originally, I had the Celtics and Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. But the Bucks are, I think, uh, whoever, like, which one, whichever one of those teams play the Bucks in the, um, in the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, it's going to be a really good series. What do you think, Ibrahim and Abiji? I I totally agree with that, Ronak. I think uh, going back to one of our first podcasts where we discussed, uh, you know, the Bucks and the Raptors and the Celtics. I wasn't super high on the Bucks and and how they might play in the playoffs, but adding Miritich is really really good for them. Uh, he's another elite three point shooter that you have around Giannis. Uh, they already have, I think, they're like top five in three pointers made in the NBA. They're second in attempts so the way Budenholzer has his team playing plugging in a guy like Miritich uh is like it's perfect it's a perfect fit and Giannis has been playing at an MVP level um so yeah I mean they look they're looking more and more like they're legit and obviously it remains to be seen what happens in the playoffs but um this is a very deep team and it's a team with a lot of length uh, a lot of shooting, uh, good rebounding. So they have, I think, the right formula for success in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they've been good at pretty much everything. They've been, you know, record-wise, they're the best team in the NBA right now. And uh, metrics-wise, they're also the best team in the NBA. OBG, you also think the Miracles trade was a great move for the Bucks? Yeah, 
pretty solid. Three point shooter spreads the floor for Giannis. Perfect, basically. I yeah. don't know why they got rid of him. Pelicans. I mean, you know, I, I mean, think they realize that they want to get what they can for the players. Uh, if I pull yeah. up the, the details of the trade right here, um, the Bucks gave the Pelicans back uh, Stanley Johnson and Jason Smith and multiple second round picks. So not much back. Uh, the Pelicans weren't going to re-sign him though. He was an expiring contract, so they may just get may as well just got got what they can. Well, yeah, they can. I don't like the Bucks losing Thon Maker though. I like I really liked him on the Bucks, but he, he just didn't want to be there though. according to the yeah, why, yeah. They weren't playing he, him at all. Yeah, because you you don't have space for him with with Giannis, but like Giannis and Brook Lopez. Um, but yeah, but I really liked him being there. Yeah, yeah, he was a good player. He did fit pretty well with them. Yeah. Um, but I guess... But I think I think that's, like, the difference between coaches like Budenholzer and Brett Brown. Like, Budenholzer, he, he has expectations to play uh, Thon Maker, and he, he just doesn't do it. And I think... Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, dude. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, my, my headphones are dying. I'm at, like, 3%. But, oh, yeah, no I, just think, I think that's the difference between Brett Brown and, and Budenholzer. Budenholzer doesn't... You know, he has a system... And he's an old, he's an old bad system. They have the number one yeah. defense in the NBA. I think they're only better now with Meritich. Yeah, he wasn't even playing much last year too, even before even before Budenholzer came. So yeah, I mean, I think getting Nikola Meritich might be the best thing Thon Maker ever did for the team because they traded Thon Maker <laughs> to get Stanley Johnson, who they then flipped for Meritich. So yeah, why? Okay, Stanley Johnson is not that good. He's not good at all. He's, he's not yeah, good. He's a great shooter. Yeah, like he I had said, an okay season, rook, his rookie year as a defender, and then he's just not been good. He's only so. known because he guarded LeBron. Exactly. It's yeah, like why like Iguodala yeah. won the Finals MVP. Like, and they ended the up getting swept why. in that series anyway. Yeah. I mean, they they played close, but they got swept. So I don't know what the hype was, but he's yeah, he's not a great player. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're all going to have a really interesting perspective on this trade. It's going to be a little divisive, and that's Marcus Sol to the Raptors. What do you guys think about it? Um, you know, it's, it kind of came out of left field. There were no rumors about this, and then all of a sudden it came out that the Raptors trade Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles, and a 2024 second rounder for Marc Gasol. And uh, the contract situation for Gasol is that he makes $25 million this year, and then he has a $25 million player option for next year. Uh, so what do you guys think, man? I want to hear your thoughts. I, I, I personally don't like it for the Grizzlies because, like... Well, they're tanking. Trying to re- <laughs> hmm? They're tanking now. I, I just think like if they yeah, have but a good you can't even tank. Colleagues. You don't even have picks. You have a twenty twenty four second round pick. Yeah, That's they didn't true, get anything yeah. for the future with this trade. Yeah, so I'm like, so like from that perspective, you're not you're not getting much. Um, but I guess I don't know what the market was for Gasol. Um, no one was willing to throw first rounds for him. But yeah, I just feel bad for the for the Grizzlies. They've just been like mediocre for the past six years yeah uh, also one reason they want to be worse this year or as bad as they can possibly be is that if their uh, pick uh, falls outside the top eight this year then it uh, goes to boston uh so the details of that trade was that it's top eight protected this year top six protected next year and unprotected in 2021 so maybe they want to convey the pick i don't know honestly, okay. what the grizzlies are doing to be honest because you'd want to be a better team this year. Just convey the pick ASAP before it becomes unprotected. Because they're not looking very good for, pre- for future years. Yeah. Did you and then I don't... Him? Yeah, sorry, OBG. Keep going, man. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't like this for the Raptors. Because I, I feel they're giving up potentially good wings off the bench in DeLon Wright and CJ Miles. I'm okay with losing Valanciunas. 
but like I don't know. I don't know how I feel about them losing some 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 depth on the bench. Yeah, I feel like they're pretty much banking on the fact that Siakam and uh Anunbi are just Anunobi, kind of yeah. gonna be really good in the playoffs, which is you know it's, yeah, it's fair. Too. Right. And and that's fair I'm, a bet for them to make, but it's it's kind of just banking on a lot. So I feel you on that. Yeah, what do you think, Tam? If your headphones haven't died yet. Yeah, I agree with Abiji. I think they're um, you know, they're taking on a bunch of risks giving up those two. Like, I don't have a problem with them getting rid of Valentinas, but I think you like, give up two wings for a guy like Marcus Saul. We'll see what we'll see how he does in the playoffs. I think what's gonna happen is they're gonna stagger his minutes with Kawhi Leonard. Hey Daryl, would you choose to number one in the nation? Sorry about that. Yeah, hey, I think Darryl, what's up? <laughs> they're gonna stagger his minutes with Kawhi Leonard and it'll be because I think one of the things Marcus Saul can do that Valanciunas can do is he can you can run an offense through him and you could have guys set screens off the ball. He's a great passer and he, he'll find open guys. So I think he'll he'll give him something offensively. Uh, so I think um, I think it helps him out in that sense. It just it's risky because you're giving up you're giving up two wings that are I, I believe solid players. Yeah, I mean I think that you know you brought up the point Tamim, uh, you know before we started the podcast that Marcus Sol. Um, you know, isn't really what he used to be defensively. I don't know if I agree with that, um, but I but I just see like Marcus Wall, in my opinion, he's just a little bit repetitive to what they have with Ibaka, and I think they're adding another big man when they at their best they're a team that plays small. So you know, you already have to give Ibaka some minutes. Now you're gonna have to give Marcus Wall minutes too, and I don't really see what he brings to your team because uh, there was actually a quote from Zach Lowe on his podcast today saying that opposing GMs. I have said that they prefer the Raptors to play with more big men rather than going to like their own version of that depth lineup where they have like Siakam at center, um, Ananobi at the four, then they have like Danny Green, Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard. You know, a lot really switchable lineups and like you know really small lineups is where was where I think the Raptors play their best ball. Uh, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I didn't look at the numbers. So I I probably agree with that, but I think um, so. One of the things from the playoffs is. I don't think Kyle Lowry is that great of a player. And I think when you when wow. Kawhi comes off the court, you're going to have to have a guy that can create offense. And I think that's what they think Marcus Gasol is going to be for them. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think that a two-man game of Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol uh, is just is significantly better than just Kyle Lowry himself. Mm-hmm. And so, you can still go okay. small. Who's to say that you can't, you can't, you can you only play Marcus Gasol under like, you know, 20 minutes and under. Yeah, but then you have to fit in Gasol and Ibaka um, in the rotation. I mean, unless one of them kind of like loses a ton of minutes in the game, and then I feel like Ibaka is the type of player where it might cause some chemistry issues. But that's just my opinion on it. I don't know. What do you think, Abhijit? Uh, yeah, I could see, I could see how they they would uh, think that adding Gasol provides them with you know some scoring. Um, but I, I think, you know, it doesn't really allow them to play. It, it allows them to play in the half court better, I think. So I, I agree with that. Um, but on the opposite end, uh, on defense, I don't know if that really benefits them um, having Gasol in, in there. Yeah. Compared um, to a more, like, versatile lineup. For sure. So I feel like having Gasol in there... Uh could help them potentially against teams like the Sixers or the Celtics where 
Uh, they have pretty good big men down low. So, uh, you know, I think still, I think Gasol is still a good defender. Um, it's been well noted that he's been unhappy playing with the Grizzlies in the last year and a half, and he hasn't really wanted to play there. So I think a change of scenery could positively affect his his game defensively. Um, so maybe that helps the Raptors in certain situations or in certain matchups. Um, I think that's a good point, Ibrahim, because, um, you know, when you play bigger teams like like Philly and Boston, defending the East is different than defending the West. Exactly. It's less about defending the perimeter on the East. So you can have you can get away with a guy like Gasol. I think Gasol, he's probably better in the playoffs if you're playing for an Eastern Conference team just for, for that reason because he's 34 years old now. He's getting older. He's not going to be a great perimeter defender guarding Houston, guarding Golden State, even guarding Oklahoma City. So I think uh, I think a lot of what he gives up on the defensive end is it's not it's not as big as it was on, on Memphis. It is as it's not as it's going to be on uh, Memphis or on uh, Toronto. Yeah, I mean, it, basically, like it's not they, it, this trade really wasn't for a defensive impact. It's for an offensive impact. I think that's kind yeah. of the main storyline that we're talking about here. And yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing, right? We'll we'll see what happens, but I think. Um, so how about this? We already did this with the Sixers a little bit. So we all know the Sixers are the last team for everyone. But how about this? Uh, between the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Raptors, rank them one, two, and three. Tamim? Honestly, it depends on who the Raptors play in the first round. Or, you know, just in general in the playoffs. They can, okay. beat, they can beat certain teams of those other three I mentioned, but they also can't. They, they, there's, there's certain teams that they can't beat. Sure, but if right uh, now you had to rank them one, two, one through three, I had to rank them. I think before they got Gasol, they are probably my second best, probably the second best team. And if I post Gasol, I think they are a little closer to a little closer. But I don't think they're. I think they're still the second best team. Okay, then who's first and third though? Bucks and Celtics. Which one do you put first? Which one do you put third? Uh, that, that's hard. I would say I, I'd probably say Boston's my the best team in the East. Sure. At least when it comes to the playoffs. No, that's fair. And I think for the playoffs, yeah. yeah. And Bucks are third. I think, uh, Bucks are third. Sure, sure. Uh, Ibrahim, what about you, man? Uh, one, one, two, and three. Yeah. So I, I gotta agree with Tamim here. Uh, I think Celtics, in terms of the potential that they have, are still the number one team. For the playoffs in the East, that could change. Obviously, there's a lot of factors there, but uh, if they play their best, I think they're the best team in the East. Um, to after this trade, I got to put the Bucks there, man. I think the Bucks are the second best team now, uh, just the way that they've they've been playing. Um, I, you know, I, I, you have to start believing at some point, and so I don't want to just keep holding out for them to play at an insane level when they're already playing at a really, really good level. They're statistically yeah. the best team in the league. And then I think the Raptors are a third. But with that being said, the the differences between these three teams are so small and the margin is so small that um, the Raptors having, in my opinion, the best player in the East in Kawhi Leonard gives them an advantage in any playoff series. When you have the best player on the court, you give yourself a chance to win. And adding Gasol... Uh, like Tamim said, gives him another passing player. He's a really good passing big. Um, I think Kyle Lowry is a great player, and, and they're going to have seven or eight guys that play really, really well, and that gives them a chance to beat anybody. So it's really close between these three teams, but that's my order. Sure. Abhijit, how about you, man? Would you differ from anything that they said? or w w Who are your three teams? 
one through three. Yeah, I think I said it earlier. I think I'll take Bucks, Raptors, Celtics. In that order? In okay. that order. Nice. Yeah. So we have three different orders from three different people. Um, I'm going to make it four different orders. So I, you know, I said before on the show that I think the Raptors will win the East. Uh, I don't want to back down from that prediction, although it hasn't been looking good in recent weeks. Um, one thing I do want to say, um, you know, uh, it, as a justification for the Raptors being first, is that uh, if you kind of watch the Raptors all year, they've looked a little disjointed. Like they've had one offense, which includes Kawhi Leonard, and I feel like they're running a completely different offense when Kawhi Leonard's not on the floor, or like if Kawhi Leonard doesn't get the ball in a possession, you know. So I think having a passer like Marcus Ol, like um, you know, Ibrahim spoke a little bit about his passing. I think he he might help connect those two like kind of uh, fragments of the offense together and make it a lot more cohesive, you know. And I think that if if Gasol can do that and the Raptors can really become like an elite offensive team, uh, I like them to win the East. But um, after that, I would put the Cel- um Man, between the Celtics and the Bucks, it's really tough. Uh, I don't know if I could rank one over the other, but I'll just go with the playoff experience and put the Celtics over the Bucks. Yeah, yeah I think the, the one thing that scares me with the Bucks is I don't know if they have another guy besides Giannis. Yeah, that, see, that's a big, really scary thing, and they're like a playoff experience too. So you have, I think, I think adding Meritich makes everyone better and it makes whoever's running the second unit that much better just because you can run pick and pops and it forces the big to stretch out that much more. So I think it opens up things for, for the Bucks. I just don't think that um, their second unit is going to be as good as Boston's or, or uh, the Raptors now. Yeah, yeah, and I would agree with that. Um, anyways, uh, this has been a pretty long show. So I think we're about to wrap it up before Tamim's headphones die. <laughs> are there any, uh, but before we do, um, are there any other trades that uh, kind of stood out to you guys that you want to talk about? We didn't talk about Houston at all. Yeah, that's true. You talk about the three team trade. We can Let's go for that. Shumpert. Yeah. Yeah. Sh- are you excited about the Shumpert addition to the Rockets, Tamim? Yeah, I think he's going to be great for us. He's a great shooter. He's a great spot up shooter. Um, I think I was actually surprised that we gave up Ennis, but it makes sense because I think that of all the guys who are on um, the buyout market right now, I think we'll get at least one of them. I'd, I'd rather get um, whether it be Morris or Ellington or well, Ellington um, already has gone to the, uh, the Pacers, Pistons. right? Yeah, Pistons. Who's the, who's the other guy from the Heat? Pistons, yeah, sorry. Who's the other guy from the Heat? Uh, Tyler Johnson. Johnson went to the Suns. Um, Oh, Markeith Morris, Tamim? Is that who you're talking about? There's, there's, also, there's also another guy. But I think looking at those guys, I think those guys are probably better for us than Ennis. And I, th- I say that because Ennis is inconsistent. He's a really inconsistent three-point shooter. Yep, that makes and sense. So when you, when you play with Chris Paul and Harden, you're not excited to do much. You're just expected to shoot threes and shoot, shoot open threes just because of how much they control the ball and how much they dribble. Yeah, and I think Shumper's a good addition for you guys in that sense. Um, so actually, you sent out Ennis in a separate trade, and in this trade, you guys sent out uh, Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, and a lottery yeah. protected, and your first round pick this year, basically, because it's lottery protected for this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I yeah, think we- the Rockets did a good job getting under the salary cap as well. With uh, those, uh, I'm just sad they got rid of my boy Sauce Castillo, dude. Oh, <laughs> they, had, they had to get rid of Nick, bro. Yeah, I know, right? He had such a bad day, dude. Um, he got <sighs> cut by the Pacers after they traded him to the Pacers. <laughs> Do you remember the first game of the season where he just lit up the Lakers? And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm on the sauce bandwagon. 
Yeah, he looks so nice. Um, Tamam actually loves Nick Stauskas. Yeah, I think I think he's pretty he's pretty underrated. If you look, he's actually top ninety in the NBA in effective field goal percentage. So I think he can he he can be a good value to any team. I I just think that people are scared of him because of his defense. I actually thought he would have been a good fit on Houston just because of how like I think he could be like another Jail Green. Yeah, Jail uh, Green yeah. now all he does for us is shoot threes, and he shoots threes from range. But yeah. I think so. One of the other guys I didn't talk about is. Um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Chandler Parsons coming back. Yeah, Parsons is going to the Rockets now. That's true. Wait, what? I mean, how much does he really add? He hasn't really done much in the last Parsons five years. Parsons is back to the Rockets. He might come back to the Rockets. Oh, yep. uh, okay. He yeah, yeah, he's healthy and dying to play, so the Rockets may give him a chance. I don't know. Uh, if it happens, I don't know how much it will actually help them. I think it's funny, though. Yeah, I think it's funny more more. than more than helpful to them. Yeah, yeah. um, Houston has Houston has the ability to just because of the way we play and how space we play, we can turn a lot of guys who haven't been playing good on other teams into useful players. I mean, his issue isn't necessarily that he hasn't been playing good; he just hasn't played. He's been injured for the last five years. He's 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 like he's been healthy for uh, Memphis. He just chose not to come back. Yeah, I will see what happens. Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, that I don't think Parsons is making or breaking the Rocket season. I'll put it that way. I agree. Uh, I agree but I do want to talk about who took Nick Stauskas's uh, one of Nick Stauskas's bench spots, and that's Rodney Hood to the Trailblazers. Uh, he actually had a really good game, uh, like against the Spurs last night. Um, his numbers right here. Uh, he played twenty five minutes. He had fourteen points on six for seven shooting, including two for three from three-point range. So do you think Rodney Hood's going to be a real impact player for the Blazers, guys? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think he will, actually. I I, want to see why Abhijit said hell no. Come on, man. Why are you hating on Rodney Hood? He's just always been, like, like with Utah, his so high hopes doesn't pan out. Goes to the Cavs. Okay, no one really pans out on the Cavs. That's fine. But um, I, I don't I don't see him fitting with Lillard, McCollum, and the rest of those guys. And Evan Turner. Yeah, I mean he yeah. he needs the three ball and, to score, three and D, but then he you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think he can be good in that game. The Blazers is that the way they play, they play so wide open and spread out that I think Rodney Hood can actually benefit from that style of play. Yeah, I'm especially with, I'm a talent. Because he's a guy who can get his own shot. And I think playing with the playing with the uh with the Blazers will help him with that. If you look at like Evan Turner, for example, he wasn't he you know his production went up a lot. I, I have a little numbers, but his production went up a lot ever since he's been on the Blazers. And I think it's just, it has a lot to do with the style of the way they play the basketball. If you can get your own shot within that style of basketball and people give you the ball, you can you can make some things happen. So I think he's he'll be a good he'll be a good pickup for them. I don't know what they gave up to get him, but I think he will help them in the playoffs. Yeah, I think he's just another guy that can defend the wings, which is something that they need. And mm-hmm. you know, he's someone who can shoot sometimes off the ball, and he can create his own shot. And I think he'll help the Blazers for sure. I think he'll just be the same player just on the Blazers. So like yeah. I don't see any improvement from him or anything. Right, I think that's, yeah. that's a good point. I think, to me, made a good point about how players who can create their own shot are valuable in that offense. That's definitely true, but 
Yeah, I mean, is he really an upgrade over Stauskas? I don't know. Oh, he's, he's definitely an upgrade defensively. Defensively, yeah. Defensively, yeah, defensively he is. But, I mean, that's where the uh, Blazers struggle, right, is defending. Like, that's that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah, defensively, he will be good for them. That's my main point. But, um, yeah, I mean, other notable trades, Otto Porter to the Bulls. Uh, I don't think we have much to say about that other than, like, the Wizards got rid of some salary. The Wizards are headed in a really bad direction. Uh, good for the Bulls that they have someone to pair with Markinen and Carter. But I think they need another, like, playmaker. I think they need a point guard on that team. Yeah, they need something to get that team going. They they don't have a lot their, going for them right their now. Their lineup but... is really good for a young team. Like, Levine. Chris Dunn. And then those three that I mentioned. Yeah, the, the only hole is Chris Dunn. Yeah, Chris Dunn not is a good like point not guard. a good basketball player. <laughs> he's, yeah, he, he's not that good. I'm not a huge fan of Levine. I think he's oh, yeah. athletic Le- and talented, but he's not that good of a player. If, like, if there's a guy, if you want to bet on one guy in a game, uh, shooting, a, shooting a three, um, but not really a three because his foot was on the line, routinely, it's Zach Levine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's literally his specialty. Come off the pick and roll, put a foot on the three point line, and shoot. <laughs> he doesn't care, man. He doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, hey, good for the tanking. Good for the tanking. Exactly, man. It's all about the tank. Anyways, with that, uh, I think we're going to wrap up the show for tonight. Thank you guys all for joining me. Uh, wonderful discussion. Thank you, Ibrahim, Abhijit, and Tam. Thank you. Thanks for having us, man. Yep. Uh, hopefully, I'll talk to you guys soon. And as always, I'm your host, Ronak Modi. And uh, shout out to our MVP producer, Omkar Moge. Have a great night, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>